0: Welcome to Life on Less Meds, a podcast that reveals the truth about drug side effects and the best strategies to manage them. And now, your host, Dr. Yosef Wittduring.
1: To Yosef Wittduring, it is my pleasure to be joined by Dr. Anna. Uh, Dr. Anna has a large social media uh, following. She does lifestyle medicine, but she's also um, a well-established anesthesiologist. You know, she's had uh, academic affiliations and such, and uh, really quite senior in her field uh, more recently she's been more vocal about um, some of the problems with the way psychiatric medications are being used and uh, she's kindly agreed to come on and talk about her experience uh, Doc, Dr Anne I think probably the most interesting story to start with here is how um, how you started to get I guess harassed after you started talking about some of the problems with psychiatric medications. Take us to the beginning and and, and tell us about that.
0: Okay. Yeah. So with a background in pharmacology, therapeutics, and anesthesia, I understand, and an interest in pharmacogenomics, I understand different drug metabolism. I understand polypharmacy, over-medicating, drug interactions. And I see an awful lot of that, especially in people that are older. And so I do try and... You know talk to them about possibly discussing with their primary caregiver a lot of them don't have one but about doing a medication reconciliation maybe working with the pharmacist um, and then you know during covid a lot of people had trouble with coping skills and mental health and in british columbia here in my city um, many people don't have family doctors so they turned to the hospital for help mm-hmm. and What happened during that time was because it was a perfect storm of pandemic lockdowns, going to the hospital, they were overwhelmed, there were no hospital beds, many people were injected with um, a long-acting antipsychotic called Abilify Mm Maintainer, 400 milligrams intramuscular. In fact, it was almost 5,000 people in
1: 2022. And correct me if I'm wrong, because we were talking about this beforehand, this yeah. was through a phase four um, pharmaceutical sponsored study that was being that was taking place in the psychiatric units uh, where you were living, and so people would go in, they'd get enrolled in this study, and they'd get this uh, abilify injection, right?
0: Well, that is correct. So, yeah. especially one um, one study called Initiate. It's a study mm-hmm. where I believe they wanted to look at. Um, how this drug worked in 200 people diagnosed with bipolar while they were hospitalized. And, you know, then I became interested in, um, because a family member was affected by this situation, and a lot of people turned to me after I started discussing it publicly. And I started listening to the stories, thinking something is is very wrong here. You know, these people have no choice. They have to get this injection. Mm-hmm.
1: Before we go into that, just so you mentioned a family member was affected, so I'm I'm assuming negatively. So, so this person that you cared about ended up with was it some mild side effects, serious, like
0: horrendous, what? horrendous side effects? So, okay,
1: yeah. you tell know, us a little in, bit about what, what, what that was like.
0: Okay, so so yeah. first of all, I'm just going to go back to pharmacology, and you know, in anesthesia, there's a concept called dose dependence. There are Mm -hmm. dose-dependent side effects for almost every drug, fentanyl, intravenous dopamine. Intravenous dopamine at low doses is a profound, is a vasodilator, and it improves kidney perfusion. At intermediate doses, it improves cardiac output, and at high doses, it's a profound vasoconstrictor. I believe it's the same with Abilify dosing. And so Mm -hmm. at high doses, um, the FDA and Government of Health Canada has actually issued, in 2016, they issued black box warnings about compulsive behavior, hypersexuality, gambling, compulsive eating, and Mm -hmm. a lot of people have trouble with insomnia on this drug. Mm -hmm. So how can that be a good treatment for bipolar when sleep is such a big part of um, the treatment, right? Um, Mm -hmm. So akathisia is incredibly troubling. And... If, um, so in in our particular case, incredible akathisia, insomnia, agitation, compulsive behavior, hypersexuality, exercising at four in the morning, and um, you know, the psychiatrists are saying, wow, no waking, doing great. No, not doing great at all. And instead, adding more drugs for the insomnia and for the irritability, so then, you know, by the you start with one intramuscular drug, and then you're on another neuroleptic for sleep, and then another benzo for something else, and it leads to these prescribing cascades, which is really terrible, terrible practice, and it's, um, Mm -hmm. so when I started researching Abilify, I realized that Abilify Maintain of 400 milligrams has a half-life of 50 days, So, in order to eliminate a drug like that out of the system, it takes five half-lives. That's close to eight months. So, imagine all the different potential drug interactions that can happen with a neuroleptic that's in the system for that duration of time.
1: And can I ask, um, Mm -hmm. when when this, this person that you knew was started on the given this injectable, was there like a period where they were... Given uh, like the oral medication to at least sort of like test tolerance or anything like that was a couple of days. I'm um, Was no. that information that was shared? Okay. No.
0: Okay, and so no, right to, no right to refuse. No right to refuse. Yeah. Okay. And um, just an injection and a discharge. And um, then the injection continued. And Because this person lives on their own, I was just watching it and almost behaving like on cocaine. Mm -hmm. And the doctors just kept saying, well, that's just the disease progression. Mm -hmm. This this must be the bipolar. This is the disease progression. And looking at it going, amazed that I didn't lose him during this time because um, the, the manic it's, it's, behavior it's from the drug was
1: right? very very dangerous so
0: so the the other issue is you know imagine yeah. the people getting injected they're going this one woman that I'm helping she's driving her children around mm-hmm. I don't think anybody has warned them that you know you, you're going to feel this way and many of them are started on a number of other medications to counteract the side effects of this. Abilify, maintain a 400 milligrams monotherapy for bipolar. So again, we get into prescribing cascades that can be quite dangerous.
1: Did, and did that happen for this loved one uh, of, of yours? Like were the drugs kind of stacked on top of one another and it became an even bigger mess at the end, which I imagine an incredibly more- An
0: incredibly huge mess to the yeah. point where if I didn't have the means to get the lawyer to get him out of the system, I would have lost him.
1: Oh my God. And
0: and not only that, now, since I've been talking about it, um, the number of people affected is staggering. And I worry that in this province, we had 1600 um, overdoses in 2023. And I still don't know how many of those people were under the Infants Act or under the Mental Health Act receiving psychiatric care. Because I think um, the over-prescribing, the over-injecting, the cascades that are happening, I think are leading to um, iatrogenic harm.
1: So it's, I mean, at least at least for my audience and people that tune in to listen to me, they they know that uh, most psychiatrists um, know little about drug in, drug-induced adverse behavioral side effects and, and make little effort to really kind of distinguish them from... Um, you know, like an adverse drug reaction, whether it's a a manic episode or something like that. And there are signs uh, for it. But usually, they're just not interested. And it's a lot easier to say that everything is due to an underlying condition, or a worsening of their underlying condition. How come you weren't able to be, I guess, gaslit in this way, or persuaded in this way that, hey, you know, nothing to see here, Dr. Anna, this is just part of the underlying condition, you know, and so, wow, so you know, serious. Yosef,
0: I'm yeah. I'm I'm a big nerd. I, I really okay. do study. I research. Yeah. I just I, I think when I when I get a trial, whatever trial it is, real life assessment of Abilify, you know, I'm gonna mm-hmm. go through the trial, I'm gonna go through the authors to see why it was terminated, who sponsored it, Atsuka, you know, how did they come into how did they even figure all of this out? Usually they do the tests on children first they give them 30 milligrams of aripiprazole, and then they say well that's great and then they move joe calabrese then does a trial publishes it and you know he gets mm-hmm. paid by otsuka and that's kind of how it rolls right so um i'm watching this and i'm thinking okay something something's very wrong here and when i mentioned to the psychiatrist i said don't you think there are pharmacogenomic differences? And I work with a company called PillCheck just for people that have the means to do pharmacogenetic mm-hmm. testing in Canada. Um, and, I, and I've done it for a few people in my little nonprofit arm. Some people are complete mm-hmm. non-metabolizers and they're getting injected with this drug. And the monograph actually says you should dose reduce it 400, 300, maybe 160, avoid it in certain CPK, you know, in certain non-metabolizers. And I mentioned this to the psychiatrist and he said, Oh Anna, pharmacogenomics we're not there yet. And I thought, hmm. And the way he she was prescribing drugs, stacking one over on the other, two neuroleptics, this, I just thought this is um this is absolutely insane. This is just yeah. not that's just clinical experience. And you know, um, at first I was, I think I'm speaking, you can't speak out against your health authority, against practice. You can't disparage your colleagues. You, you're you not allowed to do that. And out of right. frustration, I had gone on social media and I had called them out on this. And yes, that's not appropriate. I understand. And so I have dealt with that. And
1: I've been doing you know, it. <laughs> it's not
0: appropriate to disparage colleagues. I understand. Yeah. But it is appropriate to disparage clinical practice. And, you know, we cannot first do no harm. What happened to primum non nocera? People are turning to the hospital to get help, and instead they're getting hurt.
1: Hmm. Yes, yeah. And so I I think that people need to be really vocal about this, actually, because it's in plain sight. and And, you know, I think you can go along in your life without – just realizing how twisted it is until it comes to visit you, and I'm, and I. I
0: think I think that's what if if it's not person you know if you haven't lost a child to an overdose if you haven't lost someone to suicide if you haven't been affected yourself or somebody in your family, sometimes you just put your blinders on and you go along. And I look back to from 2014 to 2016 when I was uh, participating in anesthesia for electroconvulsive therapy, for example. Mm -hmm. Those patients are all involuntary. That means they don't have the right to decide if that's what they want for their treatment plan. The other thing that's very disturbing with ECT at my hospital, Royal Jubilee Hospital, um, is that most of those patients are on polypharmacy. They have injected neuroleptics, they have oral neuroleptics, they have clonazepam, SSRIs, a number of different drugs, which will obviously increase their seizure threshold. Sometimes they are shocked twice with 460 volts of current. They're given, you know, propofol, fentanyl, succinylcholine, so they don't break their neck, their thoracic spine, their teeth. Most of them lose control of their bladder and bowels. Many of them have a systole post-op. Many of them have headache, catatonia. The psychiatrist is long gone by then. Long-term harms of ECT, there's no question putting that much current through your brain eight times for a treatment plan or 12 times will do some harm and short-term memory loss. And the problem, again, is how do you prove that?
1: Well, It's, 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 it's not it's, like
0: the thalidomide where yeah. there's obvious phenotypic problems.
1: Well, I'm gonna, yeah, yeah. You're right. That you're exactly right. You know, every time someone develops cognitive impairment following, I guess ECT, oh, you know, their depression is really severe. Cognitive impairment is a symptom of severe depression. You know, they have psychomotor retardation, is what they would say. ECT is a is a really complicated issue. Um, People differ on this. I mean, my opinion. Currently, is that you know it does have benefits when used in a select group of patients, um, specifically things like catatonia and some forms of depression. But what you speak to, and I think we'd probably be aligned on, is that there is, you know, ECT kind of serves as this like end of the line treatment for people. They're in the hospital. They've been nuked with different drugs. Nothing else is working. Let's give them ECT. And one exactly. of the biggest problems mm-hmm. is that you know, these patients who are on five, six, seven drugs.
0: Joseph, try, try 27, try 20, 27. 27, yeah, drugs, yeah. yeah 27 like drugs, something or don't crazy. speak, or don't speak English. And so speak I had a, a, a woman well, who just well, wasn't was, even was, depressed. I'm, I'm
1: gonna, yeah, no, I hear you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna finish. No, no one has ever even done an analysis on whether their, their drugs are actually causing their symptoms, you know, and like, just like this, person in your life who was affected in this way, adverse behavioral side effects from psychiatric drugs are massively common, you know. Um, And you know what really really
0: got me is he's thriving. But what really got me when I got the chart, the caseworker was assigned because it was a drug trial. He said, how on earth did you get the chart? I didn't authorize the release of the chart. I got the chart, went through the chart after 27 different medications the next plan was to go to electroconvulsive therapy
1: wow and and so so here's here's what i see happen obviously obviously like okay so if you're having i mean i don't want to call it depression you're having an adverse reaction that's looking like an agitated depression or or something like that because of the drugs you get hit with a series of like i don't know 26 ECT treatments over the space of 6 months or something like that it's usually three times a week for a couple of weeks and then they start to space it out. It doesn't work. And do you know what they do after that usually is, or maybe it does a little bit, but the way it works is that they're kind of sedated and confused, kind of almost like it's a post-concussive type of brain brain injury. And so there's this kind of lull sometimes afterwards for for some people where it looks like they're better, (laughs) but then invariably it gets worse. And then they go and do another series of it and this is when you start to see the really dramatic cognitive problems from ECT. Uh, it's just when they just keep on going and no one has ever even spent the time to figure out, you know, is it the meds that are causing this? And, and so they just kind of, they stack injury upon injury and they really ruin these people's lives. Um, and um, and yeah, and mental health is like a production line these days, you know, people so, people like to think that the doctors are really in there doing these, oh, you know, two hour long assessments, you know, unwinding, you know, tell me when you started this drug, no, no. when did your symptoms emerge, you know, mm-hmm, how was this, mm-hmm. linked? you know, you know, what kind of constellation of like, like what condition could explain this other than, other than that, but it's really okay, they have severe depression, nothing's really working, we're going to escalate it. And that's really like the level, which is just. Uh, hard. And, you,
0: you know, the stories, I, I'll keep collecting them. I've got hundreds of stories now. But, you know, people presenting, a woman presenting with palpitations written off as anxiety, mismanaged, um, mm-hmm. you know. It, but, you know, there was a German psychiatric association did a, handed out a questionnaire. And it was published in the British Journal of Psychiatry, Cambridge publication in January 2018. How many psychiatrists would actually consent to their own treatments? Mm-hmm. Results are very interesting. Because oh, to, um,
1: share share them to me. I've been talking about this recently and thinking about yeah, it. yeah. So and,
0: so I'll yeah. I have to go to I'll have to go to I'm just going to go to my Twitter here. But it was something like you know 15% of them would consent to a, a long acting depot, whereas they're giving 70% of their patients the long acting depot if they were to have a psychotic episode, and then for antidepressant or antidepressants, most of them would do watchful waiting. They wouldn't prescribe an SSRI. Mm-hmm. So. That's fascinating. And I always say, you know, in medicine, we all use our medications. You use a Apixaban if you have atrial fibrillation, a beta blocker if you need it. Um, sometimes you may um, be prescribed something for your arthritis. But, you know, how many psychiatrists would actually sign up to, for a long-acting depot injection for convenience for their depression oh, <laughs> or or electroconvulsive therapy, you yeah. know, for for, for convenience wouldn't
1: and i've had this growing suspicion and it's almost comical because when i've been with you know i guess my more mainstream psychiatric colleagues especially when i was close to finishing training and we i mean we would always be complaining about other community psychiatrists their, you know what is this person doing this is this is outrageous and um I mean, I've had the growing suspicion that most psychiatrists would feel really uncomfortable pulling up their local directory and just say, oh, go and see this person. They're board certified. They're a psychiatrist because they know what's going to happen. They know they're going to get there and it's going to be this very short evaluation. It's going to be symptom based because the person who's doing it is more concerned with just kind of processing them, you know, kind of getting it done quickly, doing it by the book. But they'll walk out there with a pill, you know, so the person would have made about zero effort to really understand the stresses mm-hmm. that are contributing to, to what's going on. Mm-hmm. And, um, and no, one, no one wants that care for people that they, that they love, you know. No. And, so
0: and, you know, the, like,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: I have a, a patient whose son is autistic and she felt that she had waited to see a psychiatrist, got him in to see the psychiatrist. And she said she thought the psychiatrist would actually talk to him. Nothing like that happened, right? And so prescription, off you go. And so yeah. we've yeah. started now. Now that we know it's illegal to do, patients have started recording their interactions with their doctors. I'm and
1: like, can can I get a copy of these? You know, if you, if, you, if you you certainly want, can. I'll... I
0: can I can connect you with the people. But um, you know yeah. what? It's sad. And so we can't yeah. call out these doctors because again, that's disparaging colleagues. But what they're doing is um it's so, so very sad that there's no point pointing any fingers at anybody. Okay, maybe they are overwhelmed. But you know what, sometimes doing nothing is better than um, coercing into something. Or in this case, um, these long acting injections where the patients are told, you have a voice, but you have no choice. Um, mm, makes me sad. No,
1: I I, th- I think so too. I mean, I'd first do no harm, right? Um, and I I, yeah I you know we think we we have to think about the system that this has this has kind of evolved in but I mean the the profession of psychiatry I mean it's just I don't I don't even know how leadership let it let it get like this I mean it you think about it it could have been this great you know it really could have been this great profession I mean you're You're this mental health generalist who coordinates treatment with a team. You need to be well-versed in things that make people unhappy and sad. You need to know some biological components of it as well, and you need to skillfully Mm -hmm. use drugs to optimize someone's life. But it's just, it's not that at all anymore. I mean, it's, it's this kind of in and out, you know, have this medication and, you know, I'm going to keep you functional, but I, I really have about this much investment in actually helping you and in, in actually understanding you and, and, you know, helping you thrive There's about this much investment. And if it can't be like fixed with a pill, you know, save it for someone else. You know, I don't have time.
0: And, and you know, in their defense, I, I don't mm-hmm. think psychiatry can fix maybe desperation in society. We can't count on psychiatrists to be fixing You know, poverty, bereavement, um, problems coping, pandemic lockdowns, and the fallout of that in youth.
1: But we should be know. pretending to with medication. But we shouldn't right? be we
0: shouldn't be pretending to. And if we're you know, when I mm-hmm. see when I see what they what I seem to see a lot of is they do symptom management. So they'll do like um they'll inject somebody with abilify, the person has akathisia, they'll prescribe clonazepam, they've got rigidity, they'll add they can't sleep, they'll add another neuroleptic. And and this is how they're prescribing. And so I think almost a re education in in prescribing maybe I, i'm not sure and so ubc therapeutics initiative um, is funded by the ministry of health here in victoria and last year they had their first annual conference on deprescribing prescribing as good patient-centered care but you know once you go down the route once certain people go down the route of the long acting injectable antipsychotics for it used to be for schizophrenia now they're doing it for autism foster care bipolar depression indications are expanding I don't think there is a plan for weaning. I think these people are the the ones I'm following. I don't think they're they've ever thought about getting them off of these drugs.
1: There is no plan, and there, and there hasn't really been a plan for any any of the other medications. It's you know they've been you know there's there's a lot of talk about you know withdrawal from these medications. You know it's it's not severe. It's time limited. It's short. It's not a big deal. As if you can come on on and off them quickly the more i've seen you know the consensus statements that support this over time is it's it's you know they mostly round up the doctors that ran the studies for the companies when you know when they put them on the market and and they look at the data for the people who were on them for three months or something like that they withdrew obviously the withdrawal is not going to be that bad in people who have been on them for a short period of time and so all of the key opinion leaders they, they say that line and it gets massively publicized i mean the articles get printed they get brought to dinners with doctors they get circulated mm-hmm, people mm-hmm. say these things in their keynote speeches at at different conferences and so they can grab selective pieces of i guess journal articles, many of which they've played a big part in putting together and coordinating because it comes out with something that's very helpful for them. And then they can spread that that message to the point where, you know, people like David Healy and other really great leaders in, in the more critical psychiatry movement who are talking about these things, their voices are essentially drowned out. Uh, because you have one group that has a war chest of resources just to support this idea that hey doctors don 't worry about starting them on these medications because bringing them off is just not a big deal at all. Have a look at this this article, look at the names on there these These are the you know the heads of psychiatry at mm-hmm. all of these different you know prestigious universities all over the world. you know nothing to see here.
0: I love looking at uh, the drug monograph and actually reading the drug monograph on how most of the rats and monkeys died. Okay, <laughs> you know, and I, I don't know when you just read it and you think, I wonder how many of them have read the monographs and the warnings and why do they just, why are they so dismissive of people when they're begging them to stop something or. I don't understand. I mean, you know, as a a doctor, I've decided, okay, so if I lose my medical license for disparaging my health authority, my colleagues, the system, well, so be it. I guess it's not a license that is worth having. Mm -hmm. It's not why I went into medicine.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, rather that than actually feeling like you have to practice in a way that harms people or support a system. And, that harms and
0: yes, people. I am not the one injecting obviously these medications, yeah. but I was participating in anesthesia for electroconvulsive therapy. And to see my friend's children on the table getting convulsed makes me sick.
1: Yeah, oh my. So so on that topic, tell, tell us what happened. Um, so you, I guess you're on Instagram or Twitter and you're starting to talk about I guess I guess what you know irresponsible prescribing of antipsychotic injectables what happened that's correct you know, so what you know, what happened they so they to you?
0: well, so basically um uh, the person that was the really bad prescriber just got promoted, nothing happened, and I got mm-hmm. a reprimand from my college that between. 2019 and 2023 so for four years which is not true i provided medical advice to the public over social media about matters related to mental health services well you know what lifestyle medicine sleeping eating well um exercising stress reduction that's what i talk about a lot if that is not within the scope of my practice <laughs> i don't know i guess i'm not a doctor mm-hmm. Um, provided medical advice outside of the scope of my practice and expertise in breach of Section 2.2 of the college's bylaws. Well, all day long in my practice of over almost 4,000 patients, you know, there's an overlap. They want to look beautiful, so we do cosmetic stuff. We talk. They share lots of stories with me, and I don't know what we're doing with, with what, how we treat mental health. I mean, mental health is part of, the brain is not separated from the rest of the body. Why did I do thoracic um, epidurals for surgery? Well, to block yeah. the sympathetic nervous system. The sympathetic nervous system is connected to the, the brain. And the parasympathetic nervous system is all a part of that. And you know in order to give someone an anesthetic for electroconvulsive therapy you have to understand the monoamine oxidase inhibitor that they are on and all the yeah, other drugs i mean
1: i i feel like it's i mean you were essentially silenced for having an unpopular opinion because if you were on the internet during those times saying you know hey, mental health is really heavily stigmatized we really need to make sure people get all of the medications that they need have a look at this great new drug, Drug, Abilify Mantana. Now you don't need to take it every day. Wow, this is fantastic. It's so much more convenient. You wouldn't have heard a peep out of people. Not
0: a peep out of them. And then inappropriate statements about psychiatric emergency services within Vancouver Island Health Authority in breach of the college guidelines communicating with the public on social media. And good for me that I reached out to the medical ethicists a long time ago, way before they told me that I'm unethical. So, the medical ethicists um, like Carl Elliott in um, Minnesota and Dr. Schaefer in Manitoba, we discuss this all the time. There was a patient that actually turned to a psychiatrist in Manitoba asking for a lithium refill and was told that if he didn't want to billify, he could leave. Mm-hmm. So we are so brainwashed. What's happening in, uh, you know, medicine's collapsing, but what's happening in the pharma, very pharma-driven field of, um, psychiatry right now is, um, is disturbing. And I don't know if we can even make a dent in changing what's happening, but it's not helping people.
1: What do your colleagues say? Um, I mean, are you all out on your own? I mean, like, what do you hear when you talk privately, you know, with, with other, with other colleagues about what happened? So most
0: family doctors, um, are well aware and, um, you know, some of them obviously also, unfortunately, overprescribed SSRIs, right? Because mm-hmm. that's just how it is. You don't, you know, you think, okay, well, patient's depressed, what else? But, you know, hopefully, if they're good doctors, they, they did it for a short period of time and then got the patients off the drug, right? Mm-hmm. But most people are hearing what I'm saying. But, you know, we have such big issues with um, drug addiction in this city, homelessness. So the idea that, you know, like who cares about a couple of people that are being hauled into the hospital for intramuscular injections of antipsychotics, it's sort of not, you know, not as important maybe. But to think that this is going to become some new standard of care for mental health, depot injections just because they're overwhelmed, is preposterous.
1: Yeah, and and, you know, the thing is, this really, like, everyone... Everyone kind of has their red pill moment. Uh, Do you know know the metaphor? Yeah, where where something happens and you realize that there's more going on than it seems. Not only that,
0: Yosef, there is an Otsuka Hospital Free Trials Program where the uh, drug company actually supplies the hospitals, over a thousand hospitals enrolled, with free drug, free Abilify Maintainer.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: So if a ministry... Pays money to the institution for the drug. Where is that money going exactly? The drug was free, and you know I see now with with having practiced um, very scientifically, clinically for many years, and now doing running a business where cosmetic medicine is completely owned by pharma. Brilliant distinctions, you know. Pump as much filler into your face and pump as much Botox as you can possibly pump into a face and you'll get uh, gold, silver, and bronze stars, right? Discounts, coupons, incentives, IQVIA. So now I'm very aware of how how pharma does it. Mm -hmm. So I'm just awake. All of a sudden, I was a GP when I finished. I was a specialist anesthesiologist. I'm running my own business now and i've got the experience and i've got a lot of specialists i work with and what happened in our institution in 2022 is mind-bogglingly wrong
1: i think it's it's you know of you know these free these 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 free programs where they you know they they give the drugs out to people you know like oh you know they're giving it out f- for free but really it's it's getting providers comfortable with the drug. You know, it's like, oh, I've seen it before. You know, after I've used it and I've read the label and I've scrutinized it, I'm gonna be more likely likely to prescribe it in the future. I mean, they're always getting something out of it. But another comment which I think is you sort of touched on is most doctors, you know, they'll they'll leave their training and they'll feel like they're completely immune to the pharmaceutical influence. They'll say, I'm really smart. I'm really savvy. I see that drug rep in my office with that plate of sandwiches and I'm not going to get fooled by them. Mm -hmm. And I think drug companies uh, would probably be very happy that that's the way doctors think about it because when you really look at it and you see what happens behind the scene um, and it's so much bigger and scarier than that because the, the (laughs) the main ways they're doing this, it's, I mean i see it as marketing i mean it's so when you have the, the number yeah. of resources yeah. you can just promote whatever okay so the the
0: most brilliant company yeah. is yeah. Otsuka, otsuka i don't know how you pronounce it otsuka japanese mm-hmm. and they have a tech arm they have a proteus yeah. digital tech arm they use technology so they even have a uh, ingestible um, marker on their pill, so they can track people. Right, track ingestion ingestion of drug. Abilify, my site. Atsuka isn't, paid. Isn't that
1: scary? Isn't that scary? By the way, I think you it's know. just
0: really terrifying. So, yeah. Atsuka paid the. So, so
1: instead instead of cheeking your medication and spitting it out into the toilet, now the drug comes with a tracking chip, so you can you can make Brilliant. sure that it's in, that is in the patient. And I'm... and the
0: only the only drug that has a tracking chip is an antipsychotic. So, you know, my parents are immigrants from Poland. So they're they're but my dad, who's a obstetrician, is going, This this can't be Canada. But yes, so Atsuka gives money to the pharma paid lobbyist in Ottawa. And I don't know Mm -hmm. if I can mention his name or not, but I talked to him. He's blocked me now. But he said to me, Anna, most Canadians don't understand how pharma works or how government works. So he gets money from the drug company. The drug gets Health Canada approved. So now the young doctors who have no experience think that must be safe. You know, like an FDA approval, sure. Health Canada, it must be safe. Well, that, but it got funded just because it was a salesperson pitching a sales pitch to someone in government, okay? And that happened in 2021 for bipolar. So Abilify Maintainer now has a new, you inject it twice and you take a pill and it's going to cure all bipolar. So that happened in in that year. Then what happened was there were two physicians, one at McGill University and one was here in Victoria that worked for Tsuka, the experts, Mm -hmm. and they're even on the drug monograph stating this initiation regimen will decrease caregiver burden, will be convenient, and will um, facilitate hospital discharge. Right there on the drug monograph. So they're paid. Then the drug company pays Agence Unique, which is a medical education company out of Quebec started by a bunch of drug reps, to spread the propaganda. You can sign up for pushing the boundaries or pushing the horizons in schizophrenia and bipolar. You can sign up, pharmacists sign up, no charge, nurses, anybody can sign up, and you get free CME. So that happened during COVID. Then the drug rep gets paid lots of money in Calgary and flies here to this province to spread the propaganda, and this is just how it how it starts and how it spreads. Well, and then there's hospital free product and IQVIA I'm getting, I'm gonna
1: trials. My, I'm going to throw my two cents in there. So, mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm.
1: Um, th- the drug is the drugs are rigorously vetted th- in a very narrow way. So, so I mean Health Canada would look at the drug the drug trials very carefully, but the I think the part you touched on at the end is the really interesting part where where you talk about CME and what gets pushed out there because um there's a lot of regulation that what you put in a drug label has to be accurate I mean it has mm-hmm. to be backed up mm-hmm. by the clinical trial um mm-hmm. and but that's that's where it ends you know people think that regulators they're monitoring the marketing of pharmaceutical companies, you know, that they're, they're, but, but they're not. And, and so what this means is that, again, you know, you can say, you can, you can publish 10,000 pieces of positive uh, scientific articles about the benefits of your drug, you know, what you've proven in the studies but there's no responsibility to talk about anything negative at all. So if you have David Healy or if you have any other psychiatrist out there or or someone like you, Dr. Anna, if you were publishing in this space saying, hey, by the way, we really need to be careful about injecting people with these medications and we really ought to make sure that everyone has a pharmacokinetic screen so we don't overdose these people on these drugs, that just gets lost in the noise. Maybe you get that published, but otherwise that that that's nothing it's like a drop in the bucket compared to you know a full on flood of um carefully coordinated information that's going out there and and that's and and that's how you, i think you, it really happens
0: because you know what they, else is fascinating this yeah. abilify itself had almost 3000 lawsuits under bristol myers squib mm-hmm. so how did all of a sudden otsuka start promoting it again as a great treatment and the protocol in 2014 that was issued by the Otsuka pharmaceutical development and commercialization in Rockville, Maryland was actually, they were giving 10, 10 and 30 milligrams, enormous doses to kids ages 10 to 17 with bipolar one. Mm-hmm. I mean, I find that just even that terrifying, disgusting, horrible,
1: there's so, there's so many things that would just terrify me about the long-acting injectable. I mean, you know, not only like, you know, like you said, w- you could have a side effect and then, I mean, re- you know what you have to do? Like if you're having a side effect from this and it's life-threatening, you need to go to general surgery and they cut it out of your arm if it's possible. They go in there and they get that, that little glued, glued up chunk of the drug that sits there. the depot, the
0: little depot out of your arm.
1: And they have to cut it out of your arm. And so obviously it's a massive scar. It's a, it's a big deal. Most people don't even know you can do that, but start searching about something called dose dumping. And that is where, you know, again, you could, you can be on a drug for, you know, that has 30 days, three months or six months, you know, some of the injectables do that. Mm Mm-hmm how sure are you that that clot is dissolving at a sustained rate, you know? Oh,
0: I know. And the patients will all tell you this, and I'll connect you with a number of them. They'll all tell you that initially they are maybe very sleepy. Then it's like they've taken a whole ton of cocaine and all sorts of things. And one woman, she has prolonged QT. I don't think they don't test. Yeah. And so, yeah, there's,
1: there's an unpredictability to it. And, you know, and even if they have done these PK studies and then and they probably do looking at them, like what happens if I was playing basketball and I fell over right on my arm and I just smushed that depot in there, you know, would I have a heart attack? Would, would that, would that, you know, would I have just like pushed a big bolus of this drug into my bloodstream? Um, and, and so there's just so many things about it that that unless you're really using it carefully for someone where you actually think it's going to be helpful, I mean staying away I, I I don't think it's a it's it's really a a very safe method of taking a drug at least with the pill you could stop it and then five days later most of it's gone yeah. are uh, you trying you you you're trying to kill them you're trying to give them neuroleptic malignant syndrome yeah yeah i'm i'm working a lawsuit right now with actually abilify um, someone was being transitioned from in vegas sistena you know 30 days and there was a medication error at the hospital they were getting transitioned between them, and so they stopped. The, they had Invega 28 days later, which is a normal amount of time you would wait. They were given uh, Abilify Mantana, so a monthly shot. Two days later, they were given another shot of Invega Montana because they, a clerical error, they didn't know it was discontinued, and and the patient uh, developed, uh, you know, full on hyponatremia, um, metabolic imbalances, had brain swelling. Yeah, from from S I from S I D H had a seizure and died. Um, Yeah. 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 Could could you work as a medical? Could you work as a medical professional if you re- relinquished your board, your board, your board affiliation? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Because sometimes I feel the same way. I'm just like you know, board certification with the American Psychiatric Association. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Well, the thing—the thing is, like, it's—it's it, it's been really hard for David because he's always, you know, he's—he's he's a professor, you know, he—he—he's affiliated with an academic institution. Maybe I'm naive in thinking that I have a little bit more protection because I work privately now, but I could not imagine having to go through all of this with being an employee at a university. I mean, just the—the the, the pressure, yeah. Mm-hmm. I want to get you know i have my own thoughts about this but i want to know what you think how did so many doctors get lulled into practicing this type of of medica- of medicine where they just rampantly start people and just stack them on psychiatric meds i know it starts with the family medicine doctors what, what's your perspective on 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 how the pr- profession became corrupted in that way I think it's I, I mean, I could see that happening maybe in the cosmetic space, but in some ways I think it's it's almost like a lot cheaper when you come to family medicine and community psychiatry, the way people may be bought. Sometimes I think it's because of one, it's because of convenience and also it's because of defensive medicine, because if someone comes in and they're and they're depressed, what's easier, you know? Talking to them about the things that are actually going on in their life, you know, someone having an emotional conversation with you that might be uncomfortable, empathizing with them. You could do that, or you could make them do a PHQ-9, and and then and then your next and then the next part is well, there's all of this clinical research out there that says this drug is safe and effective for the treatment of depression. No one's ever going to question me if I just start them on this drug you know this the i'm, I'm in the right here and and so they just they put them on it and and it's just easy yeah it's addressed yeah Mm-hmm. we're not in sense there's no incentive to do that anymore any anymore and so i think a lot of doctors practice in this way they're like wow i did a really great job i saw 40 people today i was on time i got them in and out and, that, and that's how the whole thing is set up, you know, and it's just like, who cares that a bomb goes off 20 years from now? Because that's what my practice does, you know, I, I get people who come to me with antidepressant poop out pretty much, you know, they've been on an antidepressant for 20 years. Now it's not working anymore, they're tolerant to it. But what they don't tell you is that on top of being tolerant to any therapeutic effect it may have had. They're now agitated. it's messed with their nervous system in a way that they have this weird agitation and instead of the doctor who's been prescribing it for 20 years fixing it, you know they're, they're gone. it's kind of it's, it's, it's usually it's either me and I'm trying to unwind something very complicated or they see another psychiatrist who puts them on cerical because now they have treatment resistant depression. But no that's not the case. you know the chronic use of the drug has now changed their brain in a way where they're, they're messed up. Yeah. This is insane. Yeah. Mm-hmm. what does she tell you she says something like i was going through a divorce or you know something like that i I don't know what th- th- there's always something seemingly been time limited yeah yeah Wow, yeah. Mm-hmm. We, we we don't we don't need more people prescribing this stuff. You know, there's all these pushes in the US to give psychologists, you know, prescribing rights and things like that. And it's and it's um and not I mean not not in this space. Yeah. That's so true. Yeah. But let me ask you this, because you mentioned that, and this is a really good point. It's a failure of education, because you can educate nurse practitioners, you can edu- educate doctors. There is a way to do this, um, where where the people who do these prescribe these drugs do it responsibly. But we have, but the, the system has failed them. And I'd like to get your perspective on that, on on why the quality of education has become so. So poor, and I mean, maybe you comment on psychiatry or maybe you comment on cosmetics but or both i'd I'd love to hear what you think about that because I think educators have let down the generation of of prescribers,
0: yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: You know another side of this, which you know, there's there's definitely that side. I mean, who doesn't like someone at least unconsciously if they're taking you on a wonderful trip or buying you a beautiful meal? That that, of course. But there's, there's this this there's this this other part of it which I always thought was interesting, where there's peer pressure. There's, there's peer pressure to practice in a certain way or there's peer pressure to to have the certain ideas about mental illness and and one of them is the one that they kind of threw at you when they were saying you were irresponsible where it's don't talk about the negative effects of these psychiatric in, in, interventions because it's stigmatizing and people are going to, to harm themselves. And to me, this has been one of the most pervasive kind of ideas in psychiatry. You always hear this all the time yeah 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 Mhm yeah but that's, that's that's like the craziest thing it's like dr anna and her 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 20, followers on instagram hold a candle to several pharmaceutical companies pouring billions of dollars into pushing a certain you know perspective and politics about about these drugs oh my god you're so dangerous and you're really going to to have this massive influence but i mean it it makes absolutely no sense um and then obviously, the other side, yeah, yeah mhm-hmm mm-hmm. Jesus. Um, gosh, well, this is, I mean, this has been, this has been fascinating. What areas haven't we touched on that, um, that you'd still like to speak about? would you do it if, if, if i needed to send someone somewhere are, are you able to do deprescribing uh, or at least interested yeah okay okay yeah yeah yeah
0: mm-hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. Oh, my God. Wow. Yeah. Well... I think, I think social media is the way and, you know, at your own peril, I'm going to encourage you to keep on speaking out on social media because I think this is,
0: yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's. I mean, I think it's so imp- appealing to do the deprescribing work because God, it's actually helping people, and I think there's a lot of doctors out there who are jaded with the current system, and they know they they know the current si- yeah yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, that's a bad idea. Yeah, I mean, it's not it's. There is a use case scenario, but it's yeah. That's the question. Um, I'm glad you're asking it. So great. So Dr. Anna, thank you so much for agreeing to come on and, and talk with us. Um, where, can, where can people find you if they, uh, they're in Canada and they need someone to um, oversee some deprescribing? Awesome. Awesome. Thanks again.
0: Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you want to see the full video interview, we also post these to YouTube. Just go to WitDuring Psychiatry on YouTube to find those. You'll also find several YouTube exclusive videos from Doctors Yosef and Marissa posted several times a week. Finally, if you need help with your drug taper, getting a second opinion, or managing your post-acute withdrawal, come visit us at WitDuringPsychiatry.com. Our sole focus is on helping patients regain control of their lives and achieve optimal mental health on as little medications as possible.